You may be seated. And as you are seated, I ask that you would join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning rejoicing this Christmas season. Rejoicing in the words of the hymn, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. What a miracle, what a blessing the incarnation is. May its glory not be lost on us. Help us to see the wonder of your presence in our midst. Help us to see your holiness and in light of your holiness to see our own sin and help us to be rejoicing always over the forgiveness that is ours through that sacrifice made on Calvary's cross. May our joy permeate all of our lives even as we face trials and difficulties, loved ones who are ill, relationships that are broken, difficulties in our own lives and the lives of others, may we still retain that joy, that joy that is not bound up in our circumstances, but rather bound up in the truth that you have loved us so that you sent your Son to die for us. Speak to us now. Speak to us through your word preached, not because of the preacher, but because it is your word, living and active, piercing us to the deepest parts of our soul. May that occur here today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with the snow that we've had this last day or two, the possibilities of a white Christmas are are looking pretty strong. Bing Crosby obviously famously sung that that's what he was dreaming about. He was dreaming about a white Christmas. And many of us kind of hope for that. We, we wish for that. Uh, other people wish for other things for Christmas. I, I got a video sent to me the other day from my nephew, who had lost a tooth that day, which matched another tooth that he had lost in the very front of his mouth. And so... He sang in that video as well as you can sing with two missing teeth in the front of your mouth. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. It was cute. Somehow I'm guessing that's not really all he wants for Christmas, though. We all put together Christmas lists of all the things that we want for Christmas. Oh, I'd love to get this. I'd love to get that. And, and... Some of us, the lists are longer, some of them they're shorter, and we have all kinds of things. But even in those lists, I would argue, we don't find those things that we truly want. Those things that, at the deepest parts of our souls, we long for. Because if we were to to turn a spotlight on those deepest parts of our soul, and we were to consider what things we really long for, what things we really once. Perhaps the list would look a little more 
like this. What I want is direction in the midst of life's uncertainties and comfort and consolation in the midst of life's difficulties. What I want is security and strength. What I want is to be loved and to know that however badly I might fail that love, it will never fail me. What I want is for all that is wrong with the world to be made right. That's all. What would you say if I told you you can actually have all those things? Now that would be a wonderful Christmas. That would be reason for rejoicing. This morning we lit the candle of joy. Perhaps there's nothing in the world that that brings more joy than than the birth of a little baby. The Morins just experienced that joy with the birth of a baby. And and I I understand, I did the research on this. 360,000 births every day in the world. That's four per second on average. So since I began here, we've probably had 1,000 babies born in the world. And yet we're not rejoicing about that. Why, why is that? I, on the one hand, we say that a child being born is a reason for great rejoicing, and yet there's been a thousand births, and we, we don't really care, do we? What's the difference? Well, the difference is quite simply this. Those thousand babies that were born since I began talking aren't our babies. <laughs> They're not ours. If they were ours, you can be certain we would be rejoicing. And that's the wonderful news that we see here in Isaiah 9. We can see that there is joy and great rejoicing because not only is a child born, but verse 6 tells us very particularly, to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And that is a reason for joy and great rejoicing because not only is it to us, but it is is not just any child, but the most special of children. Remember that Isaiah wrote these words that we said together in unison 700 plus years before the birth of this child. He saw it coming and he shared all these things and, and George said so well there the need for us to consider these things being spoken of they, they seem kind of odd at first when we look at them some of these different phrases it talks about the land of uh, Zebulon and Naphtali what, what, what is this and the, the sea of Galilee of the Gentiles and, and like you mentioned the light breaking forth out of gloom and darkness well 700 plus years later along would come Christ Jesus this child who was born for us. And Matthew tells us this in his gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Now when he heard, that's when Jesus heard that John, John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. In the territory 
of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. You see, that's why Jesus came. He came as a child who would bring light into our darkness, joy into our gloom. A child so special that Isaiah gives him this special fourfold name here in our passage today. Now, if you're a fan of Handel's Messiah like I am, then you're familiar with it the way that we read it this morning from the New King James, where it's actually a five-fold name. You know, he is wonderful. He is counselor. But I, but I think if you look at the Hebrew text that stands behind this, the Hebrew text in which Isaiah originally wrote this, you'll see that there are four pairings of two words each in the Hebrew that stands behind it. And I think they're intended to be four pairings of two words each. And most modern Bible translations have taken it that way so that it's not so much that it's saying that he is wonderful, although certainly he is wonderful. And we could stop right there. But it's saying he is wonderful counselor. Not just in the sense that, that he's a really good counselor in the way that we might say, oh, he's a wonderful chef. Or he's a wonderful basketball player. Just saying that he's really good at it. Although certainly he is really good. He gives the best advice. He gives perfect advice. But he is a wonderful counselor in, in the sense that his counsel, his direction is filled with wonder, with those things that are amazing, those things that are awe-inspiring. And so it is as we open the pages of God's word, as we look into the, the glories of the gospel, we should be driven to awe at its majesty and at its wonder. It is a glorious thing that God has done. We become too familiar at times, I fear, with the Christmas story. Oh yeah, baby Jesus, you know, in the manger, sure enough, along come the shepherds, angels, so forth, so on. Don't let it be that familiar. Stop, step back, and consider it with new eyes. Hear it with new ears. This is God incarnate, as we said, veiled in flesh, God with us. What an amazing thing, taking the very form of a little baby, dependent upon the care of those human beings he had created. It's an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's also wonderful and amazing, though we often take it for granted as well, that God listens to us, that he hears us. Like any good counselor, that's a big part of counseling, isn't it? It's not just talking, not just giving advice, but listening. And so it is that the psalmist can say with confidence, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. Again, we take this for granted, don't we? Well, of course God hears me. Of 
course he listens to my prayer. But, but it's not just saying that he hears it, that there's some auditory perception on his part. It is saying that he listens to our prayers actively, that he acts upon our prayers, that he, he bids us to pray. And in some way we don't fully understand Something happens there. It's an amazing thing. Prayer is an incredible opportunity, one that we take for granted, one that I fear we, we woefully neglect. Even those of us who, who devote ourselves to prayer, we could be praying more, we ought to be praying more, we ought to be praying ceaselessly. Now that does not mean that, that every second of every day should be taken up in prayer. I, I like the way Charles Spurgeon put it, he once said, I very rarely spend more than five minutes in prayer, but I also very rarely go five minutes without praying. And that really should be the way our lives are marched. We should be constantly in communication with God, constantly turning to him in prayer as that counselor who is there with us, that wonderful counselor. We have plenty of opportunities to pray. We can pray always on our own. We can pray together. We gather together here every Sunday morning at 845 to pray for the ministries of this church. I invite you to be a part of that. We meet in the office, in the little conference room off of the office, and and spend time praying with each other. If you come, we would love to have you there. Even if you don't want to pray aloud, and you just want to be there with us, lifting up your heart in prayer, we, we would love for you to be a part of that that we might pray together. The prayer chain is something that we have here at the, at the church where prayers are, are, are offered up on behalf of the members of the church, the friends of the church, friends of the members, and friends of the friends. We, we pray for all kinds of people, all kinds of things. We'd love for you to be involved with that if you'd like to play a role in that. We would love that. It's a goal of mine that in 2014 we would see Calvary become more and more a people of prayer. I'd like to see it be a people who speak to God and a people who listen to God. For he will be our wonderful counselor. He is also our mighty God. The world looks for power. That is, that is the thing that we, we naturally tend to. We, we want power. We want to be in control. The problem is, the world would say, the problem is that the power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I would argue that that's not true, that we are actually corrupted to begin with. And power, and especially absolute power, only magnifies that or, or lifts the curtain back so we can see how corrupted we are. It just gives us the ability to act upon our corruption. Each and every one of us, we are corrupted. We are broken because of sin. And that is why Christ Jesus needed to come in the first place, so that we might be saved from our sins. It's far better than having strength, having power, having the ability to do whatever we want is to be held in the hands of a strong and gracious God. I think back to when I was in college. I, I had a time that I was at a snack bar in college getting ready to get a piece of pizza. And I remember, I can't remember the details exactly how it happened, but there was 
young lady working at the snack bar, and she was obviously very flustered. Uh, I don't know if she was new working there or what it was, but she was having troubles, and, and, and I ordered a piece of pizza, and, and she, she went back to get it and was turned around and was doing all these things. And normally the first thing you would do is pay for the items you got, and then they'd go take care of them. But, but she didn't have me pay up front for it. And she went about doing all of her things, and, and she was taking forever. And I kept thinking as I stood there, being the poor college student I was at the time, boy, I hope she forgets to have me pay. Because I'd get a free piece of pizza. <laughs> Wouldn't that be really neat? And I'm having this thought in my mind. And then finally she, she comes back. It probably took 10 minutes. She finally comes back and and she says, I, I don't think I had you pay yet, did I? And I said, no, okay, all right. And, and the guy behind me in line, who I hadn't noticed was behind me, said, oh, don't worry, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have taken that he, because he's a Christian. And it was a guy that I had actually shared the gospel with just two days earlier. And it occurred to me afterwards, if I had had strength to control the situation what would have happened well i wouldn't have had to pay i would have snuck off without paying i would have stolen that piece of pizza if it was up to me in that situation and it would have ruined the testimony of faith that i had given to this man who was watching me fortunately i was not in control fortunately god was in control and he was gracious and merciful to me in the midst of my sinful corruption. He is in control, and that is a good thing. And so we should, with Paul, boast not in our strength, but in our weakness. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, and later in 12, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He is mighty God. Let us rejoice in his strength. Let us pursue his strength. Let his strength be in and through us. I remember on the playground, even before that, as a young child at school, whenever you get in an argument with somebody, and, well, no, you're right, well, yeah, yeah. You this, you that, blah, blah, blah. You know, it would always kind of follow the same pattern. You know, voices would raise, and, and I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I'm right. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't like you. Well, I don't like you. And I, well, yeah, well, my big brother's going to beat you up. You know, well, I didn't have a big brother, so I couldn't, you know. But, but it always ended up going the same place. In the end, this is where that argument would end. Well... My dad's going to get you. Well, my dad is bigger than your dad. That's where it ended. My dad was bigger than your dad. And so I could be comfortable. I could be all right. Because, because it didn't matter how big or strong I was, or big or strong this other person was, if I could play the my dad is bigger than your dad card, I would win. Now there's something terribly wrong with that whole picture. And yet, there's something beautifully right about it. For we should find our security not in our own strength, 
but in the strength of our Father. And that is who he is. He is mighty God, but he is also our everlasting Father. Our everlasting Father. Some would teach you of the universal fatherhood of God, and I guess in one sense, perhaps that's true, in the sense that God is the Father of all life, and all life proceeds from him. So if that's what we mean, okay, but... But there is a very special sense, a deeper, a truer sense, in which not all can claim God as Father. First of all, there is only one who can truly, without any derivative cause, call him Father. And that is Christ Jesus, who is spoken of in Hebrews 1. It says, long, a time, long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It doesn't say by one of his sons or by a son, but by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as his name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Christ Jesus is the Son of God, the the second person of the Trinity. He is that by his own nature, by his own rights, that is who he is naturally. And yet he took on human flesh, came into our sinful and broken world, and died on Calvary's cross. You know, it's interesting, we, we read the passage in Isaiah 9, and it occurred to me, it says that the government will be on his shoulder. What else do we read about in Scripture that was placed on the shoulder of Christ but his cross that he bore for you and for me? It was on that cross that your sins and mine were paid for. It was on that cross that his blood was spilt and that we were purchased It was on that cross that we were made children of God. For if we trust in him, his spirit indwells us. And we are his siblings joined together with him. We we who, who have the spirit dwelling in us. Romans 8 puts it this way. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, we are, we are adopted by God. And so we are his children. By matter of adoption. Not by matter of nature, but by matter of adoption. He has He has made us his children through the cross and through the work of Christ there and through the faith that he has given us and through the spirit that joins us together with Christ Jesus. And so we who were once enemies 
are now children of the King. And not just for now, but it is an everlasting situation. It is one that will go on forever. No matter what we do, I've shared before the way that I am disciplining my children, especially in their younger years. I wanted to ingrain this thought pattern into them that it was true of me with them, but it is also true of God with us. That when I would discipline them, I would sit down with them and after discipline had been administered to them, I would ask them if they knew how I felt about them. What was my position toward them? And I wanted them to know that I loved them. And I would ask them, well, well, why do I love you? They say, because you are my father. We are your children. And I ask them, well, well, what about if you do all sorts of rotten things? What if you misbehave? What if you, what if you tarnish our family name? What if, you, what if you hate me with all that you have? Will you still be my child? Yes. Then I will still love you. And so it is with God. He is our everlasting Father. He will love us. He will love us. Though we would turn away from Him, though we would be the prodigal son, though we would sin time after time again, He will love us. Not because of anything within us, but because He has made us His children. He is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and finally, a prince of peace. A prince as as a ruler and peace in the sense not just of a lack of enmity, although that is certainly true. We were enemies with God. And now he has made us children, so we are no longer at enmity with him. But there's peace that he brings that is beyond that. Peace that exists not only between us and him and between you and me, but peace in the sense that all things will be made right. All things will be made as they ought to be. It does not mean that they are that way now. It does not mean that if you trust in Christ Jesus, your life will be easy. Far from it. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. That is the call of Christ. Our lives will be difficult. There will be so-called preachers who would tell you that if you trust in Christ, then, then everything will be easy. There's a book by one with, with the title, Every Day of Friday. The idea behind it is that, that you know, thank God it's Friday. And, and every day can be a Friday. If you just trust God, then, you know, every day's Friday. The weekend's upon us. It's kind of an ironic title, isn't it? Because when we think about the Bible, the pages of Scripture, what Friday is the Friday that first comes to mind? What Friday is the Friday that first comes to mind for a Christian when we mention Friday, if not Good Friday, the Friday where Christ was executed, where all of our sin was was laid upon his shoulders where the wrath of God was poured out upon him 
that was anything but a pleasant start to the weekend. And so it is for the Christian. Our lives will not be free and easy. Christ himself said, in this world you will have tribulation. Not you might have or it could happen. You will have tribulation. But he says, take heart for I have overcome the world. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Because Christ knows where it all ends. It ends with him victorious. Revelation 21, I've read this passage so many times and I will read it so many more because it's, it's the most beautiful of passages. At the end of time, Christ returns out of heaven, exultant. And John says in Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the promise of Christmas. This is the promise of Christ. And it's all possible because the prophecy that Isaiah gave 700 years before Christ was born came true. It came to pass 2,000 years ago. And so this Christmas, if you want direction in the midst of life's uncertainties and comfort and consolation in the midst of its difficulties. Cling to the one who is your wonderful counselor. And if you want security and strength, find it in the one who is mighty God. And if deep in your heart you long to be loved, and loved with a love that will not fail you, though you would fail it. Flee to the one who is your everlasting Father. And if there is a hunger within you for all that is wrong with the world to be made right, then know that Christ Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He and all that comes with him can be yours if only you trust in him. He alone is the reason for the season. He alone is the reason for our joy. He is all we could want for Christmas. Amen. Our Lord, we pray that you would Reshape our hearts. Refocus them that our hungers and our desires might point only to you. And help us to see that indeed
they are met wholly and completely in you alone. Be with us this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.